Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Nice Job, Painter Marketing Pros, and APC. Welcome back to another episode of the Elite Business Advice Podcast. My name is Chris Moore. I'm the founder of Elite Business Advisors and your host here for the podcast. Man, it feels so great to be back in the office, back here recording podcast episodes. Uh, some of you guys have been listening here now. We've had a fun couple weeks at our house. We got to welcome Cooper Douglas Moore into the world here uh, just about two short weeks ago, September 17th, he was born. So uh, it was nice to take a couple of weeks off uh, and spend some time at home with the family. Uh, he's doing well. Mama's doing great. Uh, big brother Chase is embracing it. I think he's just young enough. He's about 18 months uh, that he doesn't really understand um, what has just infiltrated our house. Uh, but I'm trying to convey to him like it's his new best friend, right? Um, but he's been it's super sweet. He's been excited. He runs in our bedroom every morning when he wakes up and peeks over the pack and play uh, looking for a little brother. I don't know if it's to say like, oh my God, he's still here. Or if it's like he's excited to go see his little brother every morning. So it's the cutest thing. Uh, but we're doing great. Uh, it was funny. I've been telling a lot of people that first week of being home uh, was great. It was like a nice break, a nice kind of disconnect, uh, kind of a vacation, right, if you will, from work. It, it was nice kind of to kind of take a break. Uh, and then by Monday of last week, the second week, I, I promised I would take off. Um, I was like itching. I just needed to do something to feel productive, whether it was work or something around the house. Uh, and so it's great to kind of be back here in the office this week, kind of get caught up on things, get back in a routine. Uh, obviously, it was great being at home, but uh, those of you guys that love me, you know I love what I do, and that makes it tough to try to take some time off sometimes. So um, we're going to do another episode today uh, on the Ask Us Anything. We did an episode uh, about a month ago, a little over a month ago, a month and a half ago, uh, kind of an Ask Us Anything series. And after it came out, we started getting all kinds of questions coming in. And so we thought, hey, now would be another great time to do another one, especially as we're heading into fall wrapping up exteriors or some questions, a couple of kind of about the seasonality we're in right now. So we wanted to hit on that. Um, and so we do our best to kind of sort through some of these questions and kind of pick the ones that seem to apply for everybody listening here, uh, not just for, you know, something super specific to the person asking them. Uh, and so we do our best with that. If you have specific questions, we kind of answer them for you, uh, just, you know, kind of privately off the air and then kind of save some of the bigger ones. Again, I always say, if you have a question, I'll, I'll totally give you an answer and then I'll, I'll dive into it a lot deeper here on the episode. Um, so you don't think you have to wait another month. So if you have any questions, again, we plan to do this about every four to six weeks, at least here for right now. Um, and so if you have any questions you'd love us to address on a, on a future episode sometime, probably November, uh, shoot me an email with them, chris at elitebusinessadvisors.com. Uh, and I'm happy to go through and answer them. And like I said, if it's something specific to you, I can kind of cater that information there as well. So, um, you know, cause again, we're here to serve you guys. Uh, we want to help provide the content education that you need to succeed in your business. What's relevant to you, the questions pressing. Cause I always say, if you've got a question, there's a good chance, like at least 50% of the other people out there probably have the same question or could benefit from hearing that like thought provoking idea. Right. Uh, that was one of the coolest things I think about the last episode we did some questions came up and it kind of sparked some ideas and some some of our clients and other people that we got some feedback on. It's like, hey, I never thought about that until you answered so-and-so's question, right? Uh, and so, and don't, you know, we never, we do this all anonymously. We don't say, hey, you know, 
so-and-so from Wisconsin like asked this question. So if you, if you feel like your question's stupid, send it over anyways, because we're not going to say your name on the air. So, um, or at least that's the plan, I guess, if it's really stupid, we might try something different, but uh, I'm just kidding. So, um, so feel free, send anything over again. We want to help provide content for you guys. Uh, and also it's been a few episodes since I've asked this, uh, but please leave us a rating and review uh, on whatever platform you're listening to this on right now. Uh, if you are finding benefit from this podcast and loving the information, um, please leave us a rating and review. It's the best way for us to organically grow people looking that might be looking for this information that the platforms recognize that as a way that other people might want to plug into this, this podcast. And so if you can do that, I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, I hope this helps. I hope the information, the questions here are beneficial for you. Thanks for plugging in. This is the Elite Business Advice Podcast. All right, so as we start off here, question number one uh, that we had from somebody last week uh, from down in Georgia, uh, they said, what should a salary bonus structure look like for a production manager? This is a question we get a lot, there's a lot of conversations we have with our clients. Uh, and so I'll kind of give you, obviously there's a lot of different ways you can set this up, but I'll kind of give you what seems to be the most popular and kind of why we like this model. Um, and this would be kind of the number one answer I would give you here. Uh, and I'm sure sometimes you guys ask a question and I give you five different answers, right? Because it's just different options for how you can do things. Uh, and so really production managers should get a base salary plus commission uh, or plus bonuses is what I like to kind of say, not necessarily commission on that. And really what that kind of looks like for most people in most markets is something around $50,000 a year. Um, 50 to 60 seems to be a pretty average going rate uh, for most people. Again, in most markets, make that applicable to your specific market. If you're in Miami, New York, California, that's going to kind of vary a little bit, right? Um, and so 50 to 60,000 is a pretty, pretty normal salary um, for a production manager. And I think it should be kind of based on performance and pay. You know, I think starting out closer to 50,000, having this bonus in there. And then if, if they're really worth it, if they're really overseeing and growing, uh, because again, they're, they're kind of expected revenue to oversee to produce is about a million dollars, right? So I think you can make a case if they're producing 1.5, right? Uh, Nick Slavic and I've talked before that, you know, they should be able to produce a million. Uh, but really, I think you can arguably coach them and the teammates below them up to where they can oversee 1.5, potentially even 2 million. Um, and I think at that point, you can justify bumping their salary up. Obviously, their bonus is going to kind of grow as the revenue they oversee grows. Uh, but I think you can kind of justify bumping that salary up as they've shown their proficiencies their and their potential and capabilities there. Um, but really, the bonus piece of it, what seems to be the most common is doing a 2% bonus <clears throat> on the gross profit, uh, or sorry, a 2% bonus on the jobs um, that gross profit over 45%. Uh, this is kind of an industry kind of benchmark uh, here in the painting industry. And so doing a 2% bonus on that is kind of the way to go. Um, what we actually are having some clients do, a lot of clients that are, um, you know, their, their average gross profit is about 50% on the jobs that they're overseeing right now. And so what they're actually doing is they're kind of doing a tiered structure. And it's if you gross profit over 50%, you get a 2% bonus. If you are between 45 and 50%, you get 1%. And if it's less than 45%, you don't get anything. Um, so you can kind of tier it and say that two, one or, or nothing situation. I kind of like that because then if they miss the mark literally by like a percent, right? It's not like they just lost the bonus completely. Uh, now, obviously if it's less than 45%, that would be the case. Um, but it's, you know, I, I kind of like the tiered structure there, but again, 2%, 
um, you know, 45% or greater is kind of the target that people go for. Um, because again, at that point, if you're hitting your target, paying 2% of the, the cost of the job is really not that big of a deal, right? Uh, and it's a nice bonus that will add up over time for them uh, as well. Uh, another question, this is something that's going to be a little bit more popular in the industry. Uh, it said, um, should we think about doing a combined estimator production manager role for our business? So I wanted to include this question on this episode right behind the one we just went through. Um, it's kind of another thought idea for you. And one, one thing that um, some companies in the industry are doing is instead of having traditional structure of estimator and production manager, right? Estimator sells a million, production manager oversees a million. Um, you know, and it's the sales to production handoff. What some people are doing is they're kind of combining that role into almost a, I must say branch manager type style. Um, and, and we've talked about that before and um, on, the, on the podcast here, but kind of saying like, hey, your goal is to oversee the job from the moment the lead comes in, you go through, you sell the job, and then you oversee the production of it, right? And there's kind of some pros and cons here I wanna break down on this. Number one, I think the pro is, you have one person following through from start to finish, right? I know as being a homeowner, and there's nothing wrong with this, I understand how companies work, especially nowadays, I didn't probably as much uh, when I was younger, first becoming a homeowner and went through some, you know, contractors at our house type thing. Um, but, you know, as a homeowner, like, it's really nice to have one kind of point of contact for everything you need start to finish, especially if there's a question or issue on the production side. I think it streamlines, I think it saves some headache and communication issues or breakdowns, right? It, it definitely relieves tension. Uh, if you if you have estimators and production managers in your business, you've, you've kind of had that tension sometimes, right? Of things being misbid or a conversation with the homeowner that didn't get documented and then the production team didn't do it because they didn't know, right? It kind of solves some of those issues. So it's kind of nice to have one person start to finish one contact point for the customer throughout the process, right? It helps build a stronger relationship because again, one person the whole time. Um, I like the the benefit of accountability, right? It's one person, hey, you are responsible for everything start to finish. Like there's accountability there. It's harder for things to slip through the cracks, um, you know, going from sales to production. So I think there's some benefit there. Um, I think from a financial point of view, because I can't answer a question without going to the numbers. Um, I think it can really make a lot of sense, especially, you know, I would say at minimum because of those benchmarks I just mentioned, you know, sell a million, produce a million. I think at minimum that if you combine the roles, they should sell and produce 500,000, right? That at least is putting you on the same track as if you had the traditional structure. Um, but I think realistically, um, they should be able to sell and oversee, you know, at least 600,000. And, and I would argue even closer to 750 in that role, right? Uh, and so, you know, I mean, 750 is six painters, you know, if you're talking in-house crews, that's two crews of three, they should be able to oversee that and sell, you know, 750 or close to it, something like that, right? Um, and I think in that case, then you're starting to actually save money, right? That's kind of the goal of coaching the, your production managers and estimators to oversee 1.5 to 2 million or anything in between there, because now you're getting more production out of the same overhead or, you know, slightly a little bit increasing their salaries. And I think it's the same thing here, right? If you have one person that can sell and produce say 600 to 700,000, that's way better than having two people to produce a million dollars, right? Cause now, um, you know, if you had two branch managers, they'd be doing 1.3, uh, instead of, a million in revenue. So um, kind of just think about that. I do think it does make sense if, you know, you have somebody that has the capacity to do that, especially if uh, you go back to the episode we did on the five levels of crew leaders. And if the crew leaders they have underneath them in those six painters are really solid, 
then I think it just gives them that much more capacity to go and sell the 750. Uh, and if they are really involved and have to be there on the job site, maybe the crew leads are, you know, level one, level two, just able to hold things over, but they're not really like thriving and taking stuff off the, the, the production manager's plate. Uh, then I think it's going to be closer to 500,000. Right. So I, I definitely think that financially it can make more sense for the business. Um, Obviously there's cons, right? You can't just have pros without any cons. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest cons is it may be hard to find people that have the skill set for both ends of what's needed of their job. Um, you know, it's easier probably to find somebody that's really good at sales. They can just focus on being a estimator. I think it's probably a little bit easier to find somebody that's just really good at project management, managing production, overseeing, leading people, coaching people, than it is to find somebody that has both skill sets, right? That is a good salesperson and a good production manager. Um, one thing I wanna kind of point out, previous conversation with the client, when we talk about being a good salesperson, I don't mean they're really good at selling used cars. I don't mean they're good at you know sales necessarily, right? But it is a sales job, but it's really going and fulfilling a want from a homeowner that wants a quote, that wants your services done, right? I think there's a little bit of a difference between like door-to-door -door sales right, or being at a kiosk at the mall or at Best Buy or at Sam's on a Saturday morning sales and going and fulfilling an estimate that a homeowner reached out and wanted from you, right? There is a difference there. And so keep that in mind. Um, I don't think, you know, if you have a production manager, I think it's easier to teach a, a good project production manager how to do sales than it is to teach a good pers a person that's good at sales how to oversee, manage, and lead people, right? The, the reason they're probably really good at sales is because they don't have to oversee and deal with other employees, um, typically, right? And so keep in mind as you're, if you are trying to kind of bridge the gap there with that, um, the going and doing sales, it, it is sales, right? But the, the negative connotation that comes with sales and what that involves and, oh, I gotta be a really good salesperson. No, you kind of just need to follow the process and the systems put in place that work and connect with people and build a relationship with them. And like, you don't have to be a good hard closer with sales tactics and strategies and all this stuff, right? You just need to follow the process. Uh, and so keep that in mind when it comes to that. Uh, the other kind of con I can see with this is, uh, depending on how you're growing in the split of your company, it may take some time for this new role to develop the in-house employees underneath them, right? How do you navigate maybe delegating or splitting up the business where you're selling and producing, you know, overseeing production of half a million, uh, or, you know, or maybe you have the traditional setup and now you're adding kind of this new wing into it, right? How do you navigate the production of bringing this person on board, right? Um, and so I think that that is something for sure uh, that can be a challenge, right? You can obviously use subcontractors as well. Uh, we have some people that are in the process of, you know, recruiting somebody that's kind of in a bilingual state um, for their company, for this role. And their job is to go find subcontractors, probably Hispanics, um, to oversee the projects. And, you know, obviously then they've, they've got the English to, to navigate the homeowner and the project management side of things, right? Um, so there are some ways you can do this even with subcontractors. Um, but I think that's one of the cons is if you are doing it with overseeing in-house W2 employees, how do you navigate the growth of the business um, to justify, you know, all of this stuff, right? And that's something that's very specific to everybody's businesses. All right, enough about that. Um, what is the ideal crew size? Uh, this is a question we get a lot uh, when we're talking about strategic production and scheduling and operations. The ideal crew size to me is two or three people. Um, you know, it depends on if you have smaller jobs, bigger jobs. 
I think three is like the magic number. Um, I do have some people, some of our clients that have two people and their average job size is, you know, a little bit on the smaller side. So I think it does kind of matter the makeup of the jobs you have. I think it matters the talent of the people you have, right? Do you have enough kind of leads that you can have three or four two-person crews and, and there's enough leadership on each of those three or four crews to, to suffice? Um, if you only really have one or two good leaders, then you should probably have two crews of three, right? Um, in something like that. So I think that's something to keep in mind. I think two or three is really the, what you should be at. Um, a couple notes on that I wanna make. Number one, they should be set crews. These people should work together all the time. Uh, for the most part, right, there will always be a little bit of give and take and flexibility, but for the most part, they should be set crews. You shouldn't be constantly interchanging your employees nonstop every day. Everybody's going to a different place, you know, whatever. Um, they should be always working together as much as possible uh, and find what makeup makes the most sense for that, right? Uh, who works best together, what, you know, what, who's best for what tasks and stuff, right? Um, everybody needs the guy that's willing to go up on the 40 foot ladder on, on a crew, right? Especially if you do a lot of big exteriors. Um, yeah, everybody needs a crew with, with one of those people on it. So, um, and, and then kind of strategically schedule accordingly, right? And we have some people that say, Hey, we kind of, you know, during the busy season, we have an interior team and an exterior team, right? We kind of schedule appropriately because these guys are really good at interiors. These are really good at exteriors. Uh, and so you should definitely have set crews because it builds chemistry. They work better together. They will become efficient because they always know the tendencies of the people they're working with. And they can kind of say, hey, I already know this person's gonna go do this or they're just, you know, whatever, right? Um, same thing with playing hockey, right? You know, when you have teammates you play with all the time, you always know where they're gonna be at on the ice and what they're gonna do and the moves they're gonna make and where you need to go when so-and-so has the puck. Um, and I've seen it in hockey teams play where everybody plays with everybody and um, it's kind of a disaster. So um, the other piece with that, each crew should really ideally kind of have their own schedule. I always say that every time a, a project sells, it should go on your schedule somewhere and it should be assigned to a crew to where each crew kind of has their own schedule essentially. Again, especially if you have that interior and exterior split, kitchen cabinet, something like that. Um, another question somebody asked is, what are some retirement plans that I should look into being a small business owner? Uh, this is a great question. This could be a whole episode in itself. We've kind of talked about some stuff before with this, especially just in the tax planning episodes we did. Um, I think really there's kind of four different ones. I'm just going to mention the names, look into them. Um, please let me know. I'm happy to connect you with the financial advisors here that I share an office with. Um, they're amazing people. I would love to connect you in with them. They're able to work with people all over the U.S. Uh, I trust them wholeheartedly uh, and would recommend them for sure. Uh, but there's a couple different ones you can take advantage of being a business owner. They all have different stipulations, whether you have employees, whether you are self-employed, some different things like that. Uh, but the four different ones that typically come up for small business owners is a solo 401k, a Roth 401k, a SEP IRA, SEP IRA, and a simple IRA. Again, different stipulations, requirements. Uh, some of them you have to offer it if you have employees uh, and you have to match up to a certain, like there's a lot of differences there. So talk to a financial advisor. Again, I'm happy to connect you with some uh, with Mike or somebody here at the office, um, if you want to talk to them and just get some information, obviously they do free analysis meetings, just like we do, uh, just to talk through some of that stuff. Uh, but that can be huge for the tax planning pieces we just talked about on our recent series. Uh, what should be a reasonable salary for a painting business owner? This is a great one. Uh, my friends at the IRS probably would love to hear my answer on this. Um, realistically for most, painting business owners, it's gonna be somewhere in the 48 to $52,000 a year. 
range. Um, we do have some clients that are closer to 36,000. And again, reasonable salary, this affects only people that are S corporations and actually paying themselves a salary through payroll. If you are a single member LLC, this does not apply to you, but keep this information for when you do file to become an S corp again. Listen back a few weeks on that episode, we talked about S corps for the entire thing. Um, reasonable salary, again, it, some people are at 36,000. We have a couple clients that are closer to 60,000. Again, it's kind of dependent by the accountant and who's handling that stuff for them. Again, the average kind of target is 48 to 50,000. I will say this, if you were on, if you were less than that, you need to have good proof and reasoning on why it's lower, right? The client that's at 36,000 legitimately only works about 25 hours a week. He can justify if he ever gets audited from the IRS, why his salary is a little bit lower than what the industry standard might be. Um, I think at 36,000, depending on what the like business size is and some stuff, I don't know that that's gonna run any red flags. Obviously I don't have that data exactly. If you're at 24,000, there's a chance, depending on again what your the rest of your numbers look like, that that could kind of cause you know some some somebody to check into that a little bit more, right? Um, and again, that's fine if you were justifying that you don't work in your business a whole lot because you have an estimator, a project manager, and an office person, and your calendar shows you only work 15 to 20 hours a week. Yeah, you can probably justify that salary, right? It needs to be justifiable no matter what. Again, just blanket statements there. Um, one question that we get a lot, and this is gonna be a two-part one. How much of a cushion should we have in our business cash-wise, and what should we do with the excess once we hit that number? That's one of my favorite conversations to have with clients, by the way, is when they hit that number, okay, and then it's like, okay, what do we do with this now, right? Um, so the first part of that is, how much should we have in the business as a cushion? You should definitely have about three to six months of operating expenses in the business, um, or you know, kind of set aside access to through the business, not including your deposit account, your tax account, things that are earmarked for specific things. I'm talking just overall cushion in the business, savings, anything like that. Um, and what I say, when I say three to six months, I'm talking about these are the things that you're not going to cancel, people you're not going to lay off if times got tough, right? Like your shop rent. Um, that's probably not something easily you're going to get out of, especially if things get hard in the economy, right? Um, you know, you're probably still going to have to pay yourself at least something, right? So you should be like, what is that minimum number? Um, you know, what that should look like, right? So it's not necessarily just what are what's three to six months of your current operating state. Like, what are the some things that would get cut, right? If you have to downsize your business a little bit, what are some things that would get kind of cut off of that? Um, so just something to think about with that. The second part of it. What do we do with the excess? Um, I love, I love again, going through this with people. You know, I think the biggest thing is um, at that point, you need to make sure your money is making money for you. Um, when we talk about that cushion, that three to six months, whatever that you need to have for that, um, we, the goal of that money is to be there in an emergency or to, to kind of get through capital, you know, of, of the slower season coming up that we're heading into with the holidays, whatever that might look like, right? The goal of that money is security. It's not to make money for you. If you're able to make a little bit of interest on it, fantastic. Um, but for the most part, that goal is security. Anything above and beyond that, the goal should be, okay, now you're actually kind of losing money because it's way more than probably what you need to have for that security. So you're kind of losing out on money, right? So we need to look into some avenues where you can get a good return on that money, even if it's some safe investments, whether it's, you know, obviously interest rates are up right now. So CDs, um, the high yield checking accounts, high yield savings accounts, right? The unfortunate thing is most of this stuff at the high yield savings accounts are mostly only um, applicable to individuals. 
They are not applicable to business owners. And in that case, what I would really suggest is if you're looking just to do something kind of safe, you can make four to 5% on your money. Um, Discover has a great one. That's that's what we have a lot of our, our personal money in. Um, I know American Express has one that's that's rivaling the, the um, APR and, and um, interest rate of the Discover ones right now. But what you should really do is take that excess money out of the business, that you know, it'd be classified as a distribution. You're paying taxes on it either way. Um, take that money out of the business um, and, and personally go invest it into a CD or you know a high yield savings account, whatever you want to do, right? Whatever makes sense for you, um, specifically, to where you're getting some interest on it, right? If you want to take it and invest it into stocks, obviously know that there's some risk involved there, but that's another option, right? You should start doing something with that money to start returning it. Um, I think it's a good idea to keep some of it liquid, something you can easily get your hands on. That's why I like those high yield savings accounts. Get a good four to five percent return. You have access to it at least, you know, for maybe. 10 to 20,000, right? Uh, depending on how much excess money we're talking about. And then some of that, you can start looking at some riskier things that might return more money, right? Again, this is a great thing to talk to a financial advisor about, right? I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just giving you some thoughts and ideas. I'm not giving you specific advice on how to manage your money. Um, I just feel like I always need to put that disclaimer in there. Um, but with that being said, I look at it like this. That is your money no matter what. If things get tough with the business and you blow through that emergency savings and that cushion you have and you need access to this money, you can just put that money back into the business, right? It's still your money. Even if you're an S corporation, you take it out, it's a distribution. If you have to put 20,000 back into the business or you wanna reinvest that into a branding package or something specific for your company, you can always put that 20,000 back in and it just goes in as a contribution. You don't pay taxes on it. Um, as it like a sale or anything, right? It goes on the balance sheet is how much money you're investing into your business. You can always put that money back into it, right? But there's a lot more options for business owners um, on what to do with your money when it's a personal stuff, like what I mentioned with the high yield savings and other things versus if it's a business trying to look at that stuff, right? So just something to keep in mind, sometimes taking that money out of the business, doing something with it personally, and you always have the ability to invest back into the company if you have to uh, keep that in mind. Um, another thing from a liability point of view, I like not keeping more cash in the business than what you really need to, just something else to think about. Um, you know, again, I don't ever like worry or plan about that, but I think it's something to be aware of, right? If something happens to you, uh, you have an LLC, there's a reason why you have that and you operate the way you do to protect your personal assets, right? The money comes out of the business, it's no longer in the business, it's in your personal stuff, right? And so something to kind of think about um, with that, should something happen, you know, not just having a ridiculous amount of cash in the business um, probably wouldn't be a bad idea. Again, what are the odds of that? Pretty slim, but it's something to kind of be aware of. And another reason why I like to take that excess out of the business, um, do something with it personally. And again, even if you earmark it for, hey, this was money from the business, um, you know, eventually you can spend it yourself or do something with it or, or make a smart investment with it. So last question we've got on today's episode. Uh, this is this is a real thinker here. Um, Love to hear some other people's opinions on this. So should you dump money into advertising this time of year? So we're recording this early October. We're heading into fall again, holiday season. Should you be dumping money into advertising this time of year? Um, I think the answer is yes, you still should. Um, but you need to one, be smart and be aware of the changes uh, when we talk about paid advertising. I think you should always be dumping some money into advertising. It doesn't matter what kind of advertising is it. Are you relying on Facebook ads? You're relying on Google ads? What are you spending that money on, right? Or is that a um, investment into a networking group or a magazine or you know something like that, right? 
And I think, you know, it, it, and so I'm gonna focus on the, the Facebook ads, the Google ads, like the actual paid, you know, the paid ads, if you will, pay-per-click, all those things, right? Um, this time of year, it gets to be a lot harder because you're competing against a lot of other businesses, not just in the home services contracting space, right? Because everybody's looking, there is the easy out now that the quote, busy season's getting over. But now you're also competing with retailers, right? Because they're running ads about Black Friday specials and Christmas deals and all of these other things, right? So the same amount of clicks and the same amount of space on the web, and now there's a lot more people entering into that space during this busy season. So I think it's okay to still invest some money into them, but I think we just have to be aware of we can't expect the same return probably during this season as what we would get during the busy season, the summertime, all the, you know, throughout the rest of the year, essentially, right? Especially if you are somebody that, that does interiors and exteriors, and now you can only do interiors in the wintertime, you're also just lost half of what you can really advertise for too, right? So we gotta be mindful of that. Um, so I think it's good to rely on other methods, uh, not just that ad spend. Again, look into other things that we've talked about. It's not too late to really start prepping for wintertime. This is probably the latest you really need to start planning out the next three months, three, four, or five months. Uh, go back and listen to the episode we did probably about eight to eight to 10 weeks ago, right after our retreat on um, planning for wintertime. And we kind of go through some things on what you can do on that. This is really the last kind of the last call to start implementing some of the stuff from that episode to stay booked up for the next few months. Uh, so I got all kinds of shameless plugs about previous episodes in here. Uh, and sorry, I'm not sorry about it. So uh, that's all that we've got for you to, on today's episode. I hope it was helpful. Um, feel free to share this on social media, tag us in it at Elite Business Advisors, uh, pretty much on all social platforms. I appreciate everybody that's always sharing this on their stories, on their posts, uh, just helping grow. Again, the, this is the only way we can get the word out there more about the podcast uh, is through you guys sharing it. And then again, leaving us those ratings and reviews. Um, I appreciate you so much. Appreciate the support that you guys always have for us in the podcast here. You are the reason why we do this. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.